We have those left, don't we? Praise the Lord. The Lord has used you to keep this uh, flame here in Jessup burning. And, and as you see, uh, the Lord has been pleased to add many to your number. And so we praise God for that. Turn to Psalm 146, if you would. 146. Let us read the word of our God together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. And all God's people say, let's pray. Father, we do praise you, but not as we ought. And so, Father, we beg that you would bless us and enable us to praise you more as each day comes and goes, that we would see your great promises in your word, and, and that would cause us to praise you all the more, and that we would praise you for uh, even in the bad times, when we're down and out, when we are having troubles, Father. Let us never, never cease to praise you. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your sacrifice, for your obedience. And most of all, we praise you as you make intercession for us. We praise you, Holy Spirit, for your uh, work in us, for your spreading the gospel, the kingdom throughout this world, for using clay vessels like us to do this work. And we pray that we would praise you with every thought, every word, and every deed, and that you would receive all the glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Why are we here? What's the meaning of life? Is this all there is? These questions and more have been asked by countless people down through countless ages. People are in search of answers to these questions. We seek the answers in science. We seek the answers in nature. Unfortunately, we seek the answers almost everywhere, <laughs> except where we should. And that's the Word of God. The Bible. God's self-revelation. In its opening lines, the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, what is the chief end of man? In other words, why are we here? 
What are we here to do? And it gives the answer, which I believe is the Bible's answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is why we are here. That is what we are created for. We were created to be in a personal relationship with the Lord of glory, our Creator. And we were created to to praise Him, to worship Him, and to obey Him. We glorify God in different ways. We glorify God through coming to faith in Christ Jesus, right? That brings God's glory uh, when, when people come to faith in Christ. We glorify God in our obedience to Him and His Word. That's our primary way of glorifying God, is it not? Through obeying Him, through loving Him. We are glorifying God right now as we gather together for corporate worship. These means of grace God has given us are for our good, but they are ultimately for His glory. And so we are glorifying God even now as we sit and listen to the preaching of His Word. So worship is our primary means of glorifying God. And one of the one of the elements of worship is the singing of praises, the singing of praise hymns to God. That, as we read in the psalm, that was a theme that David uh, really liked. Uh, he, he wrote a lot of praise songs. Um, someone in the prayer mentioned the, the prayer of Solomon and how he was praising God even in his prayer. And that's exactly what this psalm is telling us to do exhorting us to do it's exhorting us to praise god to bring him glory by praising his holy name now the context of this psalm this this psalm starts a string of psalms that that go to the very end to psalm 150 each one of which starts with the word hallelujah and ends with the word hallelujah Hallelujah, Boyce writes, is a compound word made up of two Hebrew words, Hallel, an imperative verb meaning praise, and Yah, a contraction for the name of God, Jehovah. So Hallelujah means praise the Lord or praise Jehovah. So when we were singing these songs, what we were saying was praise Jehovah, praise Jehovah. Hallelujah, which is praise Jehovah, and then praise Jehovah. It's repetitive, and it's, it's purposeful. You know, a lot of people misuse the word hallelujah. You hear people say that, non-believers, hallelujah. It's not raining again today, right? And, it, and what they don't understand is they're saying praise the Lord. <laughs> so even unbelievers praise God unwittingly, right? And it's, it's, we chuckle, but it's, it's God will get his glory, even from unbelievers, right? And so this psalm and the psalms all the way to the end from 146 on, they all start with praise the Lord and they all end with praise the Lord. And so we ought to uh, see that as our highest calling as Christians to worship our God and, and, and praise him. And we have many reasons, right? We have 
15 years reasons, right, in this congregation. Now we, we look around and we see some faces that have been here the entire time. And we also look around and we see faces that are no longer with us. And we see faces that have come since then and joined. And those are all reasons to praise the Lord. Now, some members left for whatever reason. Most of them uh, were taken home to be with the Lord. And so we, we have reason to even praise him for that, right? And we have the hope one day when Christ returns, or, or should he tarry, when we are taken in death, we will be reunited to those that we have lost. And we have that hope, and that's another reason to praise the Lord. Well, the human author of this psalm is not known. Uh, a lot of people contributed to David. Uh, the Hebrew, uh, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, um, uh, it attributes this psalm to the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. You know, in the time of when, the, when Israel came back out of captivity, the remnant was brought back to Israel. Um, although most Bible scholars argue against that, um, we do know, however, as a matter of fact, that the author truly is the Holy Spirit. And so this psalm is given to us as a gift from our God. And it's also given to us as a call to worship that we ought to praise our God. It is my hope and prayer that each one of us present here today will have as our top priority the worship of our triune God. This is personal worship, family worship, and corporate worship above all. I hope we never tire of praising God. I hope it never becomes mundane or, or commonplace. But the more we praise God, the more we ought to want to praise God. The more we praise God, the more praise it should invoke us. And so that's my hope and prayer today, that that will be the reality in each heart. In this psalm, I hope to point out that praising God is not only our duty, but it is our great privilege. I hope to point out that giving praise to anyone or anything else is wrong and is idolatry. And now, it's not wrong to compliment others. I, I don't, I'm not saying that. Okay, It's not wrong to compliment others. But ultimately... We, we praise God and Him alone. We, we don't praise, uh, in that sense, anything else or anyone else. Because in the end, all praise goes to God. For He alone is worthy. The Apostle Paul exhorts, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And all of those were descriptions of our Savior. And so we, just thinking of our Savior, that ought to cause us to praise God. God's word unashamedly proclaims, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. In other words, He's worthy to receive our praise. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. 
is the opening words to this psalm. Hallelujah, hallelujah, oh my soul. This psalm starts with a call for corporate praise and then a call for personal praise. The psalmist is, is calling us all to praise God. It's like a command. Praise Jehovah. And then he's exhorting himself, Oh my soul, praise Jehovah. I, I, I'm trying to lead by example, in other words. This, this psalmist is saying, not only should you praise God, but, but I should praise God. The praise starts here. Worship is not passive, dear ones. It is active. Some would say it is work. And I would say amen to that. If you are truly worshiping God, in a sense, when, when we leave here, we, we'll be spent. Maybe not everyone physically. But, I mean, you, you should leave here today feeling like you have accomplished something. Worship is work. It's not just... A spectator sport. Unfortunately, many, many that call themselves churches make that just that, a spectator sport. And they only call the singing worship, worship and praise, right? Which everything we do here, dear ones, is worship. Their entire service is worship. Even when you put your tithes and offerings in the, in the box, that's a, an act of worship. So we don't just worship God when we're singing. When we're singing, we're praising God. But we're also worshiping Him when we hear the Bible read. We're worshiping Him in prayer. We're worshiping Him by listening and hearing the sermon. These are all acts of worship. In worship, our minds must be engaged. It's not like watching television in one ear and out the other. Your mind must be engaged. We must have a true understanding of just who it is that we are worshiping and understand what the acceptable elements of worship are. That's why we here at Emmanuel Baptist Church believe and practice the regulative principle of worship. We only worship God in the way He commands. And we do that because of our understanding, because our minds are engaged. True worship is possible because God has revealed himself to us. Everybody, and I mean everybody, that's alive on this planet and ever has been alive on this planet and ever will be alive on this planet, worships something. Because that's what we were created to do. We were created to worship God. And so even people that don't know God worship something. That's just what they do. Now, they can say, well, I don't worship anything. I don't, well, you, yes, you do. Basically, you worship yourself. <laughs> if, 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 you know, you're saying that your knowledge is above all other knowledge, you can honestly declare there is no God. You know, do you know what's behind every star or planet or under every rock? How can you make an, an absolute statement when you don't have absolute knowledge? But yet people say there is no God. They worship something, though. And most of the time, it's themselves. It's nature. It's, you know, um, my wife and I enjoy watching the Alone series about survival. And it's so often, somebody will catch an animal, and they're starving, and they're hungry. Oh, thank you, animal. 
Oh, thank you, Mother Nature. Everybody worships something. They ought to worship God. Worship is only possible, true worship, because God has revealed himself to us. Otherwise, we would be worshiping something that is not God. Worship must be personal. Now, I'm not saying that you don't need to participate in corporate worship. What I mean by saying worship must be personal, dear ones, I can't worship God for you. As much as I would like to, I, I struggle worshiping God for me. I need his grace more and more just to do that properly. I can't worship for you. You can't worship for me. Worship must be personal. You must personally be engaged in the worship of our triune God. Yes, we do come together corporately to worship together with each other. But we don't worship for each other. You must worship God yourself. Worship must be personal. It is not just the duty of all mankind to worship God. It is an unspeakable privilege that he has given us. You know, we, we must not look at worship and praising God as a, as a, as a, a chore. Uh, and I did say it's work, but it's to be joyful work. We must not look at it as a chore. Oh, I got to go to worship today. No, if that's, what you, if that's the way you think, you need to examine your heart. Maybe you have grown cold. Maybe you've lost your first love. You remember what you felt like when you first came to saving faith in Christ? You should feel like that every day. Or, or better. It should, should grow. You shouldn't just be elated and then kind of settle back and, you know, okay, all right, the fun's over with, the honeymoon's over, right? Each day should be better than the last because each day we should know Christ more and love him more and want to worship him more. The psalmist writes, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. This is a a lifetime commitment. This is a lifetime duty. It's a lifetime enjoyment as we ought to praise God. It's not just on Sunday mornings. It's Sunday all day, Monday all day, and the rest of the week. This is to be something that we do as long as God gives us breath. And the breath that he gives us, we should use to praise him. The life that he gives us, we should use to praise him. Why is it so very easy, dear ones, to praise God when things are going well? And so very hard to praise him when they're not. Do do you sometimes get misled into thinking that you deserve better? Come on, God. I'm one of your children. I deserve better. Dear ones, you don't ever want what you deserve. I don't ever want what I deserve. I want God's grace and mercy. 
And so even in, in the bad times, I can praise God. Because even in, what was brother, brother uh, Carl Yarbrough used to say this all the time. When you say, how are you doing? It's better than I deserve. You know, we should all have that, that attitude. <laughs> no matter how bad it gets, we're doing better than we deserve. We ought to praise God all the time. Not just when we think that he deserves it. That's a, that's a pretty, that's not a very good attitude to have, is it? God deserves your praise all the time. Not just when he's doing something good for you. He's not the Santa Claus in the sky, okay? He's not just there to be the divine butler, to, to, to just be at your beck and call. He is God. God Almighty, Creator God. The one that gives you life. And he is eternally worthy of your praise. So we ought to be able to praise him in bad times as well as the good, keeping in mind what the Apostle Paul writes. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So no matter what's going on in your life, your heavenly Father is doing this for your good. With the goal of making you more Christ-like. And so praise God. Praise Him for that. Praise Him for chastisement. Praise Him for His, his, his sculpting. Praise Him for everything that He does in your life. The psalmist then declares that praising God in this life is not enough. He said He will praise God as long as He has being. When life ends... We as Christians, God's people, we will continue to have being. We will be in the presence of the Lord for all eternity. And so we will continue to praise Him. We praise God imperfectly now. But then God will truly get the praise that He deserves from the lips of His people. Because then we are not constrained by sinful flesh, sinful thoughts, sinful actions. We will be able to perfectly praise God on that day. You know, included in, in Charles Haddon Spurgeon's work, The Treasuries of David, uh, classic reflections on the wisdom of the Psalms, he puts a quote in there by one John Janeway, that just, just Mr. Janeway said on his deathbed, listen to these words. He says, Come, help me with praises, yet all is too little. Come, help me, all ye mighty and glorious angels who are so well skilled in heavenly work of praise. Praise him, all ye creatures upon earth. Let everything that hath being help me to praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise is now my work. And I shall be engaged in this sweet work now and forever. Bring the Bible. Turn to David's psalms. Let us sing a psalm of praise. Come, let us lift up our voices in the praises of the Most High. I will sing with you as long as I have breath, as long as my breath does last. And when I have none, I shall do it better. End quote. Do we desire to praise God like that? 
What a, what a thought to have on your deathbed. The praise of God. Wanting to praise God. And that's all. Wanting to praise God and then knowing that you'll be able to praise Him even better when you're in His presence. Do we desire that, dear ones? Do you desire that? And then the psalmist tells us why it's wrong to praise and put our trust in anything but God. He says, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. Trusting in man is futile. That's what he's saying. It's futile. Why would you trust in, in, some, in futility? Man is, is temporary at best. Temporary. From dust you were taken to dust you will return. We as fallen creatures, even armed with the very best of intentions, still fail to be completely trustworthy. Do we not? Why would you trust me? Why would you trust in anybody other than God? He alone, he alone can accomplish all his, his, all his promises. We make promises that we can't keep sometimes, don't we? Not, you know, we might not intend to not keep our promises, but sometimes we make promises that we just can't keep. All of God's promises will be kept. God is faithful. He is trustworthy. The psalmist writes, when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. There's a, there's a play on words here in the Hebrew. The Hebrew word Adam translated man, and the Hebrew word Adama translated earth. Very close. There's a play on words. And that very language was used elsewhere in the scripture, was it not? Genesis Chapter 3, verse 19, where God said to Adam, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So Adam basically means dirt. Or man. Very close. It's the same. Do you trust dirt? I mean, really, if you put your trust in, in mankind and in, in, in humans, you're trusting dirt. And, and the psalmist says in this psalm, he says, that's, that's futility. It, don't put your trust in, in man. It doesn't matter. Princes, it doesn't matter your station in life. It doesn't matter how much power this individual has. You know, we, we like to idolize people, don't we? Sports figures, maybe uh, Hollywood personnel, pers- personals. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's sad. You know, people look around and, and it's kind of like hero worship. No, we, we, don't, we don't do that, do we? We put our trust in God and God alone. Spurgeon writes, His breath goes from his body and his body goes to the grave. There is a spirit in man and when that goes, the man goes. The spirit returns to God who gave it and the flesh to the dust out of which it was fashioned. This is a poor creature to trust in, a dying creature, a corrupting creature, 
those hopes will surely fall to the ground which are built upon men who so soon lie under the ground. End quote. The psalmist says, Put not your trust in princes or in the Son of Man. Why? Because that is futility. He will perish. And then he will give us a contrast. Contrasting who you shouldn't trust and who you should trust. And he gives us the reasons for both. Right? Blessed is he whose hope is whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. So we are blessed if we truly hope in God, trust in God. And what do we, what do we call our conversion? We do what? We put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Now that means we have stopped trusting our own works for salvation. We've stopped trusting whatever it else it was that you thought would get you to the, the desired afterlife that you wanted, we stop trusting in all that nonsense and we trust only in Christ Jesus. That's a blessing. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have truly been blessed. That is the blessing. Our hope, if it is a saving faith, is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now the psalmist is going to give us some reasons now. He's, he writes, God, who made heaven and earth. So he's creator, right? Trust in him. The sea, he made the sea and all that's in them. Who, he keeps faith forever. God is faithful. Who executes justice for the oppressed. Who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. All of those are wonderful reasons to trust God. To praise God. So who should you trust? Man who is made of dust, who lies and cheats, who takes advantage of the helpless who cannot feed himself outside the providence of God, who is in bondage to sin, who is spiritually blind, who loves to elevate himself over others, who loves unrighteousness, who is self-serving, who idolizes those who are ungodly. Should we trust in him? Or trust in God who made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, who gives freedom to the prisoners, who opens the eyes of the blind, who raises those up who are bowed down, who loves the righteous, who watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow. That is whom we should trust. Because the outcome of that is good. And the outcome of the the, the previous is not good. But the Bible gives us more than just the psalmist here. The psalmist has given us plenty of good reasons to trust God. But the Bible is full of other reasons as well. King David writes, and this, is, this has got to be one of my favorites. Speaking of God, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 103. 
<clears throat> and here's another reason to trust God and to praise God. The prophet Ezekiel says of God speaking, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's talking of salvation right there. That's what takes place when a sinner comes to faith in Christ. He is given a heart of flesh that is capable and willing to flee to Christ. The Apostle John writes, But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's a work of God. That's a blessing. And that's a reason we ought to praise God and trust him. Jesus himself declared, For the Son of Man did not come to minister to those who don't need him, right? He came rather to seek and save the lost. Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous to repentance, but the lost. And the Apostle Paul declares, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And again in Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And yet again, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. If you can't praise the Lord for that, then maybe you better check your pulse. That's a promise that Christ will return for his bride. Praise the Lord. In light of all these wonderful truths about God and the promises from God, how can we do anything else but shout hallelujah? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah. The question is, whom will you trust? Whom will you praise? Think about that. In closing, the psalmist declares, The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Did you hear that? Our God will reign forever. And if you are a believer in Christ, if you are united by faith to Christ, you will reign with Him forever. And you will sing His praises forever. Praise the Lord. Do you see yourself in light of the gospel as needing a Savior? Do you see yourself as a sinful creature needing forgiveness, needing to be rescued from God? 
Because it's not Satan that's after you. It's God. If you are not united to faith in Christ, God is after you. His wrath is pursuing you. You are a child of wrath. And you are doomed if you should end this life in that state. Upon hearing the gospel message that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, are you trusting in him to save you? Can you end this life declaring, if Jesus won't save me, then I will be lost? Because there is no other in whom I can trust. Are you trusting that Christ? the Christ of Scripture. I pray that you are. Won't you respond to Him in repentance and faith? Won't you cry out to God for mercy? I believe. Oh God, help my unbelief. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Repent and believe the gospel today. Dear saints of the living Lord, let us, with hearts overflowing with joy, continuously praise the Lord. That's why he put us here. And dear Emmanuel Baptist Church, let's spend the next 15 years praising him better than we have the last 15 years. Look around you. Look in every face. That's a reason to praise God. That's a reason to praise God. And if you are here truly a believer in Christ, praise the Lord. In the words of the hymn writer James Allen, Join all ye ransom race, our Lord and God to bless. Praise ye His name, in Him we will rejoice making a cheerful noise, shouting with heart and voice, Worthy is the Lamb. Let's pray. Holy Father, You are indeed worthy. Lord Jesus, You are indeed worthy. Holy Spirit, You are worthy indeed. Help us to praise You. Fill our hearts with joy. Strengthen our faith in Your promises. And as our faith grows, help our lips shout forth your praises. Help us to praise you in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. Help us to praise you in every aspect of life. Help us to praise you in the bad times as well as the good. For we know that the end of all things will be praising you for eternity, perfectly and wholly. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.